All right, Bus Bench Babes, this week on the podcast, we have Connor Hesch. This guy is like one of the top mortgage advisors in the Twin Cities, and he really specializes in helping people become investors. And we have so many women that listen to this podcast that are like, we want to know all the things. So let's dive in and we're going to learn all the things. You're listening to the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast, where we invite you to check your ego at the app, grab a cup of coffee, and get ready to dive into all things real estate marketing, social media, friendship, hardship, love, money mindset, and all the things that celebrate you as a badass boss babe. We're here to encourage you, show up for you, give you a loving kick in the pants when you need it most, and be your soft place to land on the hardest of days. So pull up a seat at our table and get ready to be inspired and start living your best life by design. Welcome to the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast. We are so excited you're here. Okay, girls, let's dive in. Hi, Connor. Hey. Thanks for being here today. Oh, thanks for having me. Sorry, I was waiting for the intro music to play. No, all you... of the intro music gets added after the fact. Okay, so today we have Connor Hesh, and he is of the Closing with Connor team. You may or may not have seen him on social. He is really good on the gram. And he is a mortgage advisor with Bell Bank Mortgage, and he has been in the he's been in the real estate business for a long time. 17 years. 17 years. Well, so you and I just recently met in real life. So I've been following you on social for a long time. And I just, I love that you, like you walk the walk and you talk the talk. I think that's what I was most impressed with, with what you put out on social media is that you're like, you're showing behind the scenes, like, you know, shoveling mulch and doing the work on your multi-units. And it's, it's really inspiring. Yeah, I think I never finished architecture school. So there's a part (laughs) of me that loves to over-improve rental properties is how I get my kicks. So yeah, no, it does help when you're working with someone who walks the talk as well. I think so. You know, there's a lot of people that are like, here, do what I say. And then they don't practice what they preach. So I, I like that you are actually in the trenches doing this day in and day out. But when you're not working on your investment properties, what do you do for fun? work on my investment property no <laughs> well and tell us about yourself like you know like where where'd you come from tell us a little backstory well i'm born and raised in minnesota and uh for fun i like to golf but i'm not good at it i love being in water uh especially love jet skiing or boat stuff even though i didn't grow up with that i think my spirit animal um used to be a gorilla but i think it's more of a manatee because i just <laughs> i just love being submerged they're like gentle giants yeah yeah. And uh, they're always in water. And the older I get, the more I just want to be around water. So anything with water is is fun for me. Do you like to travel? Do you uh, have pets? Yeah. You know, you know I, I, do, I do like to travel a bit uh, when I can. Uh, my girlfriend doesn't like traveling so much. So I think uh, we, we kind of hang out around here. Yeah. Um, we've got a dog and uh, I'm terrible. He sleeps in the bed. Kiss him on the mouth. Love that guy. He's like my son. Well, I mean, my cat is here in the the room while we're recording the podcast if that tells you how we are with our pet around here too so i feel you on that 
Okay, so the main reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast is because I I love I love how passionate you are about investing and helping other people become investors and there's just not a lot of people like really kind of like make it their mission and it feels I don't know if you feel like it's your mission like to me on the outside looking in it feels like it's part of your mission and I think there's so many women that are sitting on the sidelines like oh could I possibly do that I like I think of most of the people that I know that are investors with multi-units and duplexes fourplexes it seems like they're all guys and I even get like the FOMO or like, why can't I be doing this? Or like, why am I not doing this? I know I probably could be, but like, I don't even know where to start. So that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on the podcast. Because I really wanted to pick your brain a lot for my own satisfaction, but also for our listeners. I think it's, I think it's important for all of them. Um, what was getting into, why was getting into real estate investing important to you for like your own personal portfolio? Well, I was broke. I was looking for a way to enter home ownership um, and have it be affordable. I had a lot of credit card debt, a lot of student loan debt. I had been carrying it for years. I'm talking making the minimum payments, but not paying it off. And um, while you were in the mortgage business, or prior to this, like wh- you know, while I was in, while I was in the mortgage business, yeah. and so um, you know, living through the first crash recession of 2008, uh, while being a mortgage advisor and things like that. Also, just being a young person. Um, you usually when you're younger, you start out with debt. You don't have a large right. net worth when you're 20. Right. What little money you get is spent doing things 20 year olds like to do. So part of that growth um, is is just sort of life. Um, and I really detest uh, arrogance and elitism because Anyone who's cool, I can show you somebody cooler. Anyone who says they have a lot of money, well, there's somebody with more money. I mean, this isn't New York or LA. This is Minnesota. (laughs) Right. So I um, really don't like the people that try to think they're big shots because they're an investor or throw that around. I mean, you know, can you call yourself an author if you just wrote an article once? You know, so... (laughs) Um, a lot of people do. Yeah. So yeah. I, I like to try to break that down and show people the steps. Um, you know, a mountain can feel intimidating, but it's really just a series of hiking trails mm-hmm. and everyone's gone on a hike. So because I don't like arrogism or arrogant uh, sort of elitism and because my parents are both teachers, I think somewhere I ended up doing a lot of uh, preaching and teaching and trying to get people to drink the Kool-Aid. Uh, (laughs) You're doing a good job of it. (laughs) The duplexes and the the fourplexes and the multifamily investments helped me get out of debt. It started as just a way to get into home ownership. Mm -hmm. So you bought your first place and then lived in one side and rented out the other? Is that what that looked like? Absolutely. And now people will say that's house hacking. Yeah. You can take... That's not what it was called back then when you started doing it. No, I don't even know if it had a, a... Oh, a, a sexy name like it does no, now? <laughs> no, I no. love that it's got a brand. Yeah. It's easier. It's becoming more mainstream, Yeah, which I encourage. Um, so what started as a way for me to enter housing, I didn't know it was going to become a whole second income source or a whole sort of portfolio. And I didn't know it was going to become a business niche. I didn't know I was going to become good at showing people the path and helping them to avoid certain pitfalls that I experienced. So- um, so cool. here we are. I love it. Well, so our podcast is all about women empowerment and we are all about it here. 
Um, and like I, I found you, you told me that your team is just jam packed with women and we love that. Um, how can we help more women like enter this space? Like, what does that look like? Like, what are you doing from that standpoint? I know you've told me like you have investors on, like some of the women on your team have become investors. Like, what does that look like? How did, how did that all Yeah, um, a lot of women on my team have now purchased multiple properties, whether it's a property that they use in Florida, um, you know, because you can buy a cabin or a vacation home for only 10% down. So that's kind of another alternative. Yeah, a lot of people don't even know about that. Yeah, Yeah. so instead of going maybe the multifamily route, you can buy a one-unit investment property, whether it's Airbnb or renting it to family and friends. So people on my team have either purchased vacation property or... um, purchase multiple duplexes in this area. And I think a lot of what I do is just have informal conversations. I think a lot of the transactional lenders out there really just want to keep some sort of stiff upper lip until you apply online. And that's because they're looking at this from a sales standpoint. Mm -hmm. They don't want to share info unless they're going to close a loan or get a transaction. And the problem with there is now now we're we're withholding information. And the more that you can share information, the better people do. So a lot of what I do is just informal chats with people so they can start toying with these concepts, learn the fundamentals and and grasp it. Um, Oftentimes I'll bring my coworkers and my team to the events that we do. And whether it's our event or I'm attending somebody else's event, I like to bring people with, so if uh, so I'm busy, they can talk to a coworker mm-hmm. or someone, but it's very really validating when they can hear it from other people as well. And they don't need to use yeah. me as a lender. It's not some sort of, um, life isn't just a game of how much you can accumulate. You know, life, life is, I think, more fulfilling if you have show other people and then they have that light bulb moment. So in conclusion... <laughs> I think it's just about sharing information without worrying about what you get in return. And then I think it's about showing others that others have done it as well. Um, I once had a team event and the nail, the team was all getting manicures and the nail tech was like, who are you guys and why are you all such in a good mood? (laughs) And then um, she ended up coming to one of our events and she ended up, um, looking at buying real estate and multifamily specifically. Um, so, but I, so that like, just how you described how you operate your business totally makes sense. You come from a place of abundance and like, you just like give the information freely and then it comes back to you tenfold. So it might not be that person that you talk to, but you know, like feel like the universe is blessing you with probably five other people that are like, yeah, I've heard great things about you. I want to work with you. Yeah, that whole treat others the way you want to be treated. Yeah. It works uh in business as well, it turns out. It's it's not just <laughs> it's about interesting how many people don't know that or yeah, don't realize that. It's not just about like giving an extra good tip at the coffee shop or holding the door for someone. It yeah. it applies to the way you conduct yourself um in your career as well, I think. Yeah, I would one thousand percent agree. Um so our team works with a lot of single women who buy real estate. The interesting thing when you when I knew you and I were going to be doing this interview is so many of the single women that we work with buy condos and townhomes, some of them buy single family, but they're not really buying multifamilies. And I was thinking back and in the last like 20 years, I've had one woman do it. 
She was in a committed relationship. She bought a place as a single, you know, herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the relationship imploded. But thankfully, she owns her duplex and she's owned it for forever. 15, 18 years, something like that. Um, why? Like, how how can women think about this as like building their portfolio and their wealth and generational wealth? Like, yeah. why are we not thinking bigger? Like, what do you what do you see on the mortgage side of things? Well, I think one interesting phenomenon that might have got nothing to do with, oh, the the guys that say they're handy or can fix something or this or that or whatever reason something might be looked at as perhaps male dominated or, or, or whatever is, you know, when I was younger, I kept being in a relationship that I thought might go someplace. And so I needed to not pursue my dreams in case that went someplace. I remember I was dating somebody that was hell bent on moving to Costa Rica. And then there I am trying to like look at jobs in Costa Rica and be like, I guess, <laughs> geez, I, I guess I could like move there. Yeah. Uh, then I was dating somebody who was trying to relocate to California because no one wants to stay in Minnesota, I guess, when they're young. <laughs> but we all come back. We do. I we do. moved away all several times. I always come back. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> I think when I then I got um, into my 30s and I got my first place when I was 30 or 31. And that's, I think, when I had this mental shift. And I was like, you know what? Boy, I would love to fall in love and get married and, and have kids. Um, but it, I can't postpone working on me mm-hmm. any longer mm-hmm. and we say that about to women on this show all the time too yeah like, and so it's glad i'm glad to hear that it's not just like a girl thing no i think it's a, a i think thing. it's a universal experience and i um actually didn't really draw the comparison until just now kind of just speaking it out loud yeah. sometimes you need to say something out loud to really think about it really hear it so one i always encourage people to work on themselves i encourage people to invest for themselves because then when they are in that relationship down the road well great they can still have all of their romantic dreams they'll just be a little bit richer (laughs) who doesn't love that um let's talk about ratio do you know like from like the business that your team does like what your percentage of like men versus women are buying like investment property, multi-units, like that type of thing? Yeah, I actually looked that up yesterday and uh, ran ran a few reports through our software to kind of look back at my client base. And in the last two years, I have helped 191 people buy multifamily. So that's just duplexes, triplexes, and fourplexes. It, so awesome. Yeah, it doesn't include, you know, somebody buying a, a cabin up north to rent it out or a just place a in Arizona or, or yeah. yeah, or even a single family yeah. for Airbnb. I'm talking just duplex, triplex, fourplex. Of the 191 people, 57 of them were individual women. So no spouse um, on the application with them just them. Now they might have been in a relationship. I don't always ask personal yeah. sort of questions other than show me your credit, show me your tax return, <laughs> show me your bank account. Right. You know, I don't yeah. get that personal. Right. So, um but yeah, 57 women, so that accounts for roughly uh, equates, excuse me, to about 29%. And so 29% of good. my client base in the last 2 years are women buying rental property. I love that. And I think we can- That number could be so much higher. I think so. I think it could be. I I see no reason that this should be some sort of um, male-dominated field. No, it's awesome like how much room for growth there is in that Mm -hmm. number. Yep. That's so cool. Um, Okay, let's talk about some of like the practical aspects of investing and being a landlord. Um, 
So like the financing, I know like for me, that's the first thing I get stopped at the finance. I'm like, I don't have money for this. Where am I going to start? Like, mm-hmm. what do you tell people? Well, that's a lot of what we do is we have these informal chats. We um, have, if people want, they apply online. We can also give them an exact pre-approval. But in a lot of these speaking, we're going to break down the different amounts that you need. If you're going to own your Occupy or house hack, if you're going to live there as your primary residence, you can get away with way less money down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I bought my first duplex rental property with only $2,000. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yep. People and, think you need like tens of thousands of dollars. Right. You, I mean, of course, it, it feels that way. It feels like such a large, heavy thing. But there's not as much barrier to entry. At least in Minnesota, it's a very consumer-friendly um, you know, state to buy property. And then... When that house went up in value, I was able to take a second mortgage out on it or a home equity line of credit and leverage that. And I used that as my down payment for duplex number two. So I actually used $2,000 of my checking on the first house, zero of my checking on the second house. And you kind of just fall into a groove and then you can rinse and repeat. Mm-hmm. Legally. The Burr method, is that kind of what that is? Absolutely. Buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat yeah and hopefully you don't have to do that much renovation yeah my first house didn't need much i did some things out of pride of ownership and that made me just confident enough to be dangerous <laughs> and then i took on a whole house like sort of gut flip situation for my second home and then and did you move into that next one then i did and then keep the make the first one just then both units you rented out yep do you still own your first property absolutely i have i've uh do you have you sold any i've bought many properties? houses i've never sold one wow. so if anyone here is thinking so of selling awesome. their home, I encourage them to talk to Beth and not me because <laughs> she's sold many houses for people and uh, I have not. That's so interesting. I love that though, that you have your first property still. Absolutely. Is it like your baby? It's, uh, is it like, well, it's you know, the first a, one. a good parent loves all of their children. Equally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my mom loves me way more than my sister. <laughs> um, so we talked about not really having to have deep pockets, but like, say you're not doing the house hacking and you're not going to live in it. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been talking about this on social to have like a line of credit ready. Uh, Tom Ferry, my coach always says, when the world goes on sale, you need to have access to money. Yeah. So like if you're doing owner, if you're not non owner occupied, meaning you want to just, you own, you live a house, you live in a house somewhere else. And then you want to start doing this. What does that look like? Where do most people that you work with find money for that sort of thing? Are they using like a home equity line of credit? Yeah. I always encourage that just because it's, it's easy. I do have a video soon coming out about staying liquid and having home equity lines of credit. You know, one time I met a client who had five rental properties. They were kind of old school, so they were older, and all their houses were paid off. And the problem was they found another house they wanted, and they you were- had no money for they it. They had no way to buy it because they were, had both retired, and they were showing losses of all on all their properties intentionally, not showing much profit, mm. you know? So they had no jobs, looked like all their properties were losing money, even though they were all paid off. Right. I mean, so they're they making had a, huge a ton of portfolio. money, actually. Yeah, and they had a yeah. huge portfolio and no way to buy uh, their sixth place. So uh, what, they're, yeah. what they failed to do along the way is stay liquid or keep get lines of credit mm-hmm. or keep existing lines of credit open. One thing that I always do before I move out and buy a property is I open up a home equity line of credit because uh, the home equity line of credit doesn't have the 12-month rule that you have to live there for 12 months once you mm-hmm. open it. As long as you're still sleeping there while you open it, 
you can you can get a home equity line of credit. And now here we are many years later, I can still access a line of credit against my first duplex, even though I don't live there. Wow. Um, I always tell people like you're not, your line of credit is doing nothing. You're not charged on anything mm-hmm. on it if you're not using it, but it's just good to have access to money. You never the, know when you're going to need it. The theory is when you need it is when you can't get you it. You can't get it. Right. So it's so true. If you are losing your job or need some quick money to pay for some medical surgery or put a kid through college or whatever, right. when you need the money, it's going to be harder to get it. Yeah. Get that line of credit while your home value is high, while you're gainfully employed, while rates are still pretty good. Mm-hmm. Get that line of credit. Um, home equity lines of credit are only like... Anywhere from zero to a thousand dollars of closing costs. Yeah, we just did ours, and it was I don't know nine hundred bucks or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Typically, five hundred of that is an appraisal. Yeah. And if you are okay with taking a lower value, some places don't even need to do an appraisal. I typically want to get as large as I can, so I'm always yeah. trying to get that we, appraisal. That's what we did too. Yeah. I'm like we need to squeeze every dollar out of this. Yep. And I don't do home equity lines of credit, but I have a lot of good contacts that do. So oftentimes yeah. people will email us and I'll connect them. Oh, use Mike for this or use Chris for this yeah. um, or use Lori for that. So I've got a lot of uh, nerdy banking friends uh, just like me. Well, you have to in your line of work, I mm-hmm. would imagine. Yeah. You got a Rolodex full of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so always happy to connect people. Um, you know, you just got to treat us. We want to be treated and share info, even if it's not something I do. I know the people that do it. Right. But- what you asked about, well, what if they want to get into this game, but they're not willing to move in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely easier, whether you're, you're a man, woman, or you know, not gender specific, whatever the case is, if it's just you, it's easy to buy a duplex and move in, right? Mm-hmm. You don't need as many bedrooms because you don't have three kids. You don't need a certain school district. Mm-hmm. You might be okay living by a busy street. But if you're older or if you have a family, now... You're not going to move from Maple Grove to that duplex behind the U of M that's only two bedrooms, no. right? No. You're not. So at that point, it's smart to take a home equity line of credit against your current house. Mm-hmm. Use that as the down payment to buy a property. If it's going to be a fourplex or a duplex, you're probably going to need 25% down. If it's a one unit, here's a cool catch. If it's only a one unit rental property, whether it's a single family we at Bell can do 15% down. If it's going to be That's a cabin. That's a big difference. Yeah. And yeah. If, it's a, if it's a cabin or a vacation home for you or, you know, condo somewhere, then it's only 10% down. Yeah. Now, there's still some end game. And this is kind of where I coach and help people go from zero to 10 properties is once you hit a certain income level, there are various banks that will give you private client status. And then they're going to give you a line of credit against rental properties, even though most banks don't want to give them against rental properties, only primary residences. That's why I mentioned it's important to get one before you move out. Yeah. So then when you get to a certain threshold of assets, you can start getting other loans that you couldn't previously get against all of your rental properties if you want to pull some of your capital back. Because... Not a lot of people would have many rentals if it took 25% down payment. I mean, that's like a hundred grand. Right. So how, uh, if money doesn't grow on trees and you know, you don't come from money, well, how are you just going to continually have a hundred grand in your savings at all times? No. So part of what helps me keep this party going is once I buy a property to then be able to take a line of credit or a commercial line or something, executive line pull some of that down payment back and redeploy that capital mm-hmm. into the next project. Just so it doesn't sound like I am being uh, 
overly optimistic here. I want to, like, full disclosure, I want to tell people, hey, you're paying interest on those lines of credit, Mm -hmm. right? So you have to be careful. Or your tenant is. Right, right. Or the tenants are. But you got to be careful that whatever you're going to redeploy that capital into, you got to make sure that next project is juicy enough to cover all that extra interest because you are increasing your payment now, Right. right? So uh, I think on a couple episodes ago, you talked about people treating their homes as an ATM. Yeah. And I was driving thinking, huh, boy, am I am I kind of doing that? Am I, no. Have I done that a little bit? And, I don't think and- so because you're all reinvesting into properties. I feel like when, when people were doing that in 07, 08, it's like, oh, we're going to take our kids to Disney. Um, you probably shouldn't be doing that with your home equity line of credit. You should probably be doing that with your, like your regular job. Yeah, if you're, you're like, I'm going to get a new Corvette, you know, <laughs> that type of stuff. That's where I'm like, this is a slippery slope. Yeah, when you're using it to buy things that uh, are one and done, depreciating assets or, type yeah, thing. Yeah, yep. Uh, trips do create memories. Um, sports cars are fun, and now they appreciate, whereas before they didn't. <laughs> so that's depends, that's different, right? right? Yeah, but. Yeah, you got to make sure that whatever you're putting that money into next is going to give you something. Is right. it going to give you cash flow? Is it going to give you appreciation? I've had clients where um, they are always obsessed with cash flow, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning, um, how many properties do I have to own or how many doors? That's typically what the investors like to speak in is the number of doors you own. So working the math backwards, how many doors do you need to quit your job? Yeah. Or how many doors do you need to guarantee that you can be extra comfy in retirement, right? Yeah, yeah. So some people are buying for cash flow. Yep. And some people are just buying for appreciation. Mm -hmm. I have always been focused on cash flow because when I first got my duplex, part of it was stabilizing my housing costs, getting it to where I could live for free, then getting it where I would profit on rent, then adding passive income. So for me, it's always been cash flow as a buy and hold investor. I plan to hold these properties for 30, 50 years. Who knows? Right. Like your retirement plan. Yeah. They're going to be extra money or if Social Security isn't around, they're going to be my retirement. Right. Other people are just focused on appreciation. And so they're going to buy a property in trending markets, You know, whether it's um, certain trendy spots of Minneapolis or trendy spots of certain parts of Minnesota and uh, neighborhoods with good schools or maybe Austin, Texas. I've had clients buying properties mm-hmm. there. And they're not worried about how much rent they do or do not get. Mm-hmm. They're just expecting to sell them for a hundred grand more in just three years. It's interesting how everybody's business model is so different with that. Yeah, there's and there's, there's no right or wrong way to do it, is there? It's just different methodologies. These are just tools. Yeah. Um, my my duplex mentor, um, he's super handy, and I just assumed he grew up in the trades or had family. He could fix anything, right? Does mm-hmm. all the work himself. Uh, turns out he's actually a retired computer guy from California. <laughs> and he said he started buying up houses just because he figured they had to go up in value. Yeah. So he was buying them up during 2008 and times like that. So um, if if you are uh, looking for ways to get ahead, real estate is a pretty safe one just based on the way our tax structures work. But- I'm not quick to push that on anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, there's things like Bitcoin. There's things like NFTs. There's um, a whole host we had a of whole ways to make that money now. With Ryan, he's like our our crypto nerdy guy. Yeah. So there's lots of ways to make money now. 
Real estate is, I would say, one of the safer ways because mm-hmm. the market shifts, but not as quick as stocks or crypto. There's also a lot of tax advantages. So while your building is appreciating, the IRS actually lets you depreciate it over a 27-year schedule. So you're getting to take that depreciation as a loss, even though it's just a paper loss. It's not a true cash loss. Yeah. Incentives are to direct you into how you should file and how the government wants you to uh, create businesses and do things like that. I love it. Well, so as a single gal buying a property, like really like anyone listening to this podcast, how do you how do you maintain a property? Like what if you're not handy and you're like, I want to get in the game. I want to have investment properties and I don't know how to do anything. There what is, do you tell that person? Um, yeah, I direct them to this uh, video um, site called YouTube. <laughs> I tell all my clients that too. I'm like, you can literally figure out any home project on YouTube. You can figure out everything. I've got a lot of clients too that are um, sharing uh, things on Instagram and whatnot. Um, one of my clients, Claire, is amazing. She is the most hardcore do-it-yourself. Keyword, yourself. That's she so doesn't cool. need anyone to do it. And frankly, everything that you think you don't know how to do, it's just because you haven't done it before. Now, I'll admit, I am not as good uh, as doing tile as my tile guy is. Yeah. The good news is you can try things. And then if you enjoy it, great. If you you did an okay job, you just don't love it, then hire it out. Even even my buddy Jory, who's super handy, he always said, I don't do ceilings and I don't do floors. Mm -hmm. He says, those are two things I hate. And yeah, I'll pay it out. Mm -hmm. I'll hire it out. And they'll do everything else. Yep. And if you are not a do-it-yourselfer, or maybe like, for instance, me, I was very hands-on and doing as much as I could myself when I started, but now I got to try to buy my time back. Mm -hmm. I can't be all places at once. So I'm hiring out every single thing I can. And guess what? I'm still making a profit because rents have gone up so much. Yeah. And so it's okay if you don't know how to do everything or do the work yourself. This podcast is about you buying rental property, not you becoming a contractor. True. And True. I have to But rem- I think it's the thing that like gives people pause. It, it does. Like, well, like, I don't know what to do. I can, okay, I can come up. I can scrape together the money and I'd love to live in the place. And then what? But right. like this happens to a lot of single women that, and I. But yeah, I, I want to remind them thing. that you buy a, a, a cute old house in St. Paul, Minneapolis, whatever. The old house, that single family, that's going to need just as much fixing sure. as a duplex. The difference is nobody's giving you a check every month also. True. And I think there are a few horror stories of people that say, oh, geez, uh, you know, the foundation was bad or this or that. Or, but that's actually more of the, uh, an anomaly or a rarity than it is the norm. Yeah. For sure. Not to mention, I have a lot of people that say, oh, geez, well, it's going to need a new roof. I got to save up for that. No, you don't. You just pray for hail every spring. <laughs> no, right? And then you call your insurance I, company and I, you get a new yeah. roof for free or at least the cost of your deductible. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. What are some pitfalls that you've experienced that you're like, okay, if I knew then what I know now? Like, what would you patience. have avoided? Yeah. I think patience. Really... Um, Try not to work with any handyman or contractors unless somebody has been recommended to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, as savvy as I want to sound today, I'm still the same guy that's like, oh no, I'm hosting family Christmas this year. You know what? 
My family that loves me, I bet they'll judge me if I don't have a new bathroom. <laughs> let's do a new bathroom and let's, oh, what? My regular guys are busy. I'll just take this Yahoo that I yeah. met at a networking meeting that I've, no one's ever heard of. I'll yeah. just trust that he'll do it. And so <laughs> patience. That sounds bad. If you, yeah. you don't work with anyone that hasn't been like recommended or testimonial from a friend mm-hmm. and um, I also want to push back on this half up front. Um, there's no reason you have to give half up front. These contractors that say it's going to be a $10,000 job and they want $5,000 from you. Great. That's terrible. Um, I, I will, as the saying goes, cookie crumb them. So I tell them, hey man, I'll give you a check every day you show up. Mm-hmm. Whether it's 500 bucks or a thousand, I'll give you a check every day you're here working. But I'm not okay That's with just smart. giving someone 5,000 and then... Because uh, that happened to me once, and then he was on his way, be there soon for like yeah. three months. And we so, see so much of that with contractors and like vendors right now, it's yep. terrible. Yep. So, it's like, why are you over committing and under delivering? It's the worst. Yeah. So, and being terrible communicators makes me crazy. Yeah, and it, it's it's really a shame because with how many people you know, Beth, you could probably be the goose that laid the golden egg for these vendors and contractors. Yeah. Um, but. You know, it's tough to find people that follow through and do what they say. And when I yeah. find those people, I hold on to them. We do. We scrub our we scrub our preferred vendor list pretty regularly because there's people that are like, six months ago you did a great job and now you're freaking terrible. Like, what is going on with you? Yep. Do you all of a sudden have a drug addiction or something I need to know about? Like, I'll drive you to Betty Ford. Like, what is happening right now? Yeah. But it's really terrible because it's it's an extension of my brand and my name and the company. Mm-hmm. And and. Another thing is, I always thought I needed a guy. Yeah. Um, like, ooh, plumbers are super expensive. I better have a guy. Yeah. And I had this plumber who was good for a while that just went MIA. And, and you know, I had a similar situation where I had to just keep calling and checking on him because, you know, he was struggling with addiction. But Oh, I was totally joking about that. But you actually had that happen. Yeah. Because <laughs> when you stop and think about it, um, there's not necessarily a reason that um, contractors, plumbers, electricians, whoever have to be on their own. You know, they could work at a company. Some of these people might not have fit in well in a company, whether mm-hmm. they didn't feel fairly compensated or they were late and they got yelled at for no good reason or something, or maybe they just couldn't fit in. So sometimes you got to be careful that somebody who is self-employed in that in those fields, you don't know. Didn't play well with others. They might not play well. Yeah. And so <laughs> are they going to play well with you? Right. And everyone puts on a smile and a good face when they are interviewing. Yeah. Um, so this thing of me feeling like I needed to have a guy almost brought me more headache and stress than had I just called a major plumbing outfit mm-hmm. that's like got on the Better Business Bureau and has right. their logo on fancy trucks and things like that. Yeah. Um, so... Now I'm paying retail price for plumbers while flipping a house or doing whatever instead of a guy. Guess what? Turns out not much more. So well, and they show up and they get stuff done. They we have clipboards and I get PDF flip. receipts too. Yeah. yeah. And it's like everything is done. You're not sweating the small stuff. Mm-hmm. They do it all. Yep. So if if I'm speaking to someone out there listening to this podcast that's thinking about buying a rental property, but they do aren't handy. They have never hung sheetrock. They have never uh, demoed up spaced um, or added a bedroom. Just know that there are professionals out there that you can hire. If you don't know it or don't want to learn it, or you don't want to hunt through randoms and hope hope this guy will mm-hmm. maybe show up or not, 
um, you can still pay retail and still do well in this space. That's good to know, because I think a lot of people think that if you call like the fancy guy with the nice looking trucks, that it's like exponentially more expensive. That does happen sometimes. Yeah. That's where you need a good loan officer and a good realtor to help give you a barometer. Hint, hint. Yeah. Um, Work with somebody that's been through it. Um, Don't just work with somebody who's incredibly good looking like Beth, just (laughs) because. Work with someone who has also (laughs) been through it, who's gotten her hands dirty, who's done flips, um, who isn't just selling a dream that they're not also buying into. That's important. And so- they can be a really good reality check and they can tell um, someone to pound sand or tell them like, no way, this is not a good deal. You should not take this 15 grand bid. Yeah. Also, if I could go back to younger me, I would say uh, one more, two more bits of advice would be um, always start finding other contractors, handyman vendors, even when you don't need something Mm -hmm. to be fixed. The same reason you want to get lines of credit before you need them. The same reason you want to build out that vendor list and have good people before something leaks. And the third thing I really want to say to my younger self is don't be afraid to find birds of the feather and then partner on investments. I was always afraid. So I stunted my growth as an investor. I could have had way more properties by now, but I was intentionally only doing it until I could buy another one by myself. Mm-hmm. You remember those group projects in high school and you get stuck doing everyone's work? Yeah. Yeah. You were worried, you were worried about that? I kept envisioning the worst. Or I said, yeah. what happens? Uh, and I had these delusions of grandeur. I was like, what happens when me and one of my business partners on my 100-unit building that I don't even own develops a drinking problem or has a huge divorce and then do I lose half my building or whatever? Or all these crazy thoughts. And yeah. here I am with one house. Well, right. um Find somebody you trust, find somebody who has the same goals. Maybe you don't even know them that well, but if they got the same goals and um, I've also been told, look at the way they make decisions. Mm-hmm. Do they cut corners? Do they communicate well? Mm-hmm. Um, they're like looking for a significant other, not a whole lot different. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, except it's probably easier to find an investor partner than right. a soulmate is my, right. is my guess. Um, but uh if you can invent a swiping right thing for investing mm-hmm. partners, Beth, let me know. I will. <laughs> we'll get an app made. Yeah, oh I'll double God, down on so that funny. app. So that's the other thing is now I'm partnering with a lot of people and I never did before. I'm doing it now because I'm out of capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, I've still got capital to invest, but man, I can't be every place at once. Right. And so I think I could have grown faster and acquired more properties had I partnered sooner, but it felt scary. Well, I can appreciate that because it all feels scary to me in some form or fashion. What do you see? Do you see women like do you talk through like thinking about like getting a prenup? So like a single woman buys a property and then they're thinking about getting married and like maybe you're still in conversations about them buying more properties. Do you talk about like them protecting their assets? I talk about it when they bring it up. A lot of times the talks will start with... um, when they buy a personal property, do they need to buy it in an LLC or move mm-hmm. it into an LLC? And part of that is to do um, asset protection, things mm-hmm. like that. And sometimes the conversation goes over to prenup or um, one thing that's extra secure is if they want to put their home in a trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I always thought that trusts were something that you didn't need unless you were the 
daughter of the woman who invented Velcro or, right. you know, hairspray <laughs> or whatever, some unique product that we all know, or I thought it required millions to have, but you know, even a simple estate attorney can set up a trust. Mm-hmm. And then down the road, that trust can give you leverage to do other things and do certain types of loans and things. So um, prenup is something that everyone should look into. Um, trusts are another thing, just because these are just legal vehicles to well, protect protects your assets. You, yeah, protects you if anything were to go wrong. Mm-hmm. They've yeah. always encouraged that for my husband in law enforcement. They're like, well, if something were to go bad in the line of duty, you should have a lot of your stuff in a trust so your personal assets are protected. I'm like, yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Never just, occurred to me before meeting him. You know, and it wasn't occurring to me either. It's just one of those things where, um, you know, uh, I'm not married yet. Bridget and I haven't been dating that long, just eight eight years now. So <laughs> I haven't had if to worry about podcast, that. podcast, she's going to... She'd be like, I roll, I roll. Yeah, so. <laughs> we haven't dated 20 years yet. And if she is listening, just make sure, uh, honey, um, Beth suggested the prenup, not me. So, but, Bridget, get a prenup. But I think the older I get, I definitely think that's going to be more acceptable. I mean, if you meet someone when you're 35 or 38 like I am, holy cow, you've had a whole, I, I was just coaching a client on this recently. Um because uh, she had finally met a guy that shares her investing vision and like mm-hmm. wants to like build an empire and fix stuff and buy more properties. She had already like two or three properties before she met him and he's got one. And um, so she was kind of asking me about like, ugh, this is going so well. I don't want to like jinx it, mm-hmm. but I kind of want to protect myself. And so we were discussing that. And well, yeah, and it's not a love thing. It's like a responsibility thing. Yeah. And, you know, if if you met someone you're both 20 and and both broke fine right. but if you meet somebody in your 30s you got to give yourself credit that you've had uh over a decade to get through um emotional breakdowns professional hangups that you didn't get that promotion or that job you thought you were going to get um surviving your high school reunion <laughs> all that drama you yeah. got through it and so whatever wealth you have accumulated or are about to accumulate you got to understand that that is it's not just a wealth thing how many of us have had personal stuff side sidetrack our goals? Man, I've gained weight, I've lost weight, I've felt mentally healthy, and I've felt mentally unwell. And all of that plays into where you're at. It's not just a wealth game, it's a survival game, in right. my opinion. So to think that the prenup is complete slap in the face is kind of almost, um, it discounts how much you've gotten through, I think. So I encourage it to be more of a, Talk that. about how much you've accomplished, you know, how far you've come and not just a me, 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 taking my ball and going home sort of yeah. vibe. I love that. It gets a bad rap, but I think a it lot does. of women are not protecting themselves because they think that it all like, oh, it's going to mean I less. I love that person less. No, probably means you love yourself more if you're going to protect your assets. And I'm not an estate attorney at this point of the podcast. Right. I want to say that I am. I cannot give you legal advice. Not give me legal advice. Um, but one thing I would look into is if you do feel that that prenup is anti-romantic, perhaps just look at um, putting your home in a trust. Yeah. And you can actually quit claim the title of your home for very little money. Uh, just pay some like very, the filing fees. Yeah, some yeah, very so nominal cheap. county fees. Like probably under hundred bucks. Yep, and and maybe the estate attorney needs three hundred dollars drafted up. I'm unsure, but definitely under a thousand bucks. Yeah, you can move the title of your home into a trust. Now, 
you can then down the road here have a family trust one um, or a marital trust, but you can definitely have your own trust first, right? So that might be a loophole. Again, check with an attorney. I'm not giving legal advice and I might even be a little bit off base here, but that might be a loophole to create some sort of extra security for yourself that mm-hmm. isn't just your basic prenup. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, it's interesting how many more people are talking about trusts, like buying an investment property and putting it into a trust. And if you have the right attorney, they're going to guide you in the right direction for what mm-hmm. makes sense for your scenario. Yep. And this that. is a lot of what I do is talking with people because all of this feels overwhelming. But hey, I've got good news for you. You don't need all this stuff till you get to that point. Right. This is not needed to buy your first home. <laughs> no. This is not needed even when you own two houses. A lot of the things about getting an LLC to protect yourself and things like that aren't needed until you have three properties or more. Okay. And you, so, so there's so many things that might seem overwhelming because we're hitting you with a lot of info right now, but um, you don't learn calculus in fourth grade. They don't hit you with that boring stuff until you're in ninth grade. right? (laughs) Right. So, if you would think about all the different math things you had to learn, the algebra, the geometry, the calculus, all of that stuff, it would feel overwhelming. But, you know, in school, we only take what we're learning at that year. Mm-hmm. Think of investing as the same way. Mm-hmm. You only need to know enough until you're at that step. And then you learn more when you're at the next step. Yeah. But at any point, you can get off that game. You can get off that ride. Um, I think, if I'm not going on too much of a riff here, Beth, Uh, I think there's three investors. There's three types of investors that I deal with, typically. Um, One type is an accidental investor. Perhaps, um, so I had a woman who her aunt, for some reason, was into this. So her aunt owned um, like two or three duplexes. Sadly, her aunt passed away and she inherited them. And And she's like, now what? She's like, hey, I guess I'm a landlord now. Yeah. And she actually excelled at it and she did well, but... Um, wasn't, didn't, didn't it wasn't feel a need in, to get more. Yeah, no, She liked just, her job. She's like, yeah. hey, I just got three. I'm good. Right. So that's the accidental investor. Um, and you could maybe classify somebody who bought a condo and then ended up getting married and moving into a different house and then just rents out their condo. Mm-hmm. So that's an accidental landlord. The second type of person is someone who says, you know what? I I want to get to 10 properties. I want to then... Uh, start buying commercial buildings. I want, you know, I hate my job. I can't wait to tell my boss to, you know, that I'm quitting. And they want to be a professional landlord. Mm -hmm. Their goal is to get as many as they can. Then there's the third type of landlord, which is kind of what I am. And that's where, you know, I'd like to have some, but I'm okay if I don't take over the world and quit my job. Mm -hmm. I love my job. I love Mm -hmm. what I do. I just want to guarantee that my retirement is extra comfy. Right. And um, also what I was able to do is get enough properties now to where I can then buy a big fancy single family and the rent from all the duplexes help me cover that payment. So That's it can, huge. It can also lead you to that sort of shining house on the hill. Yeah. Um, you know, like you, Beth. And so th- it can be a means to an end. Yeah. It doesn't have to become your thing. Um, And those are really the three. Those are really the three that I'm seeing. And I'm somewhere in the middle of all that. It's cool, though, that there isn't really a right or wrong way to do it is what I'm hearing you say. And 
you can dabble, you can go go into the deep end of the pool, like anything you want, like mm-hmm. anything in between, yep. and you can potentially still make money on it and create generational wealth. Yeah. And so I think cool. right now I'd like to see a lot of women stepping up and men too, buying rental property because we just made it through our first pandemic. Let's pat ourselves on the back. Right. Um, I think it's an endemic right now, or I don't know what it is, what we are in. I don't in, even know what the title is now. But if we're through it, or mostly... Uh, that was a time where there was an eviction moratorium. So a lot of the you know places said you couldn't evict somebody right. just because of not paying rent. Right. You had to prove they were a real safety hazard, whether it was guns or police arrests or something or drug use. Did that use. freak you out? Did you have people not paying? Uh, actually, every, I, every single tenant paid. I never had one mispayment. All, all of my, I don't have a ton of investor clients like you do, but same thing. All of them paid rent. Yeah. And I'm like, oh God, you're so lucky. Right. And I know, I don't know if that's the Minnesota nice in people that they didn't dare not pay rent of some sort, but I haven't heard too many horror stories. You know, I think it's I'm all. I'm sure they're out there. Yeah. And it's, I, I've definitely had some clients that didn't receive rent. It, it kind of depends. Sometimes it's um, how you treat people. Right. And I always make it a point to know that my tenants aren't renting from some faceless right. um, property manager or landlord yeah. or slumlord or hedge fund somewhere. They're renting from me. And yeah. and that's why I'm also attentive at getting things fixed. And so um, that personalizes mm-hmm. a bit. But if we just made it through that, and now the eviction moratorium has been lifted. So if that's not in the way, mm-hmm. and if we are supposedly going into a recession even though there's not going to be foreclosures like there was last time for many different reasons, which I could go into would probably be a separate podcast. But <laughs> um, the reason why a lot of actors and actresses buy rental properties in that is because if everything fails, you can at least sleep in it. Now you can't sleep yeah. in a stock. Yeah. And if other people, I really, really don't want them to go through foreclosure because it's just, I mean, gosh, breakups are hard enough. Can you imagine mm-hmm. foreclosures? So Going through it's hard. I don't wish that on anyone. But if, if if people are going through that, they still need a place to live. Mm-hmm. Okay, where are they going to go? They're going to come to me and I'm going to rent space to them. Right. So I view it as a safe, secure way to invest on a tangible asset. And I'm going to sound like an old by not saying I have any NFTs, but I don't. And uh, not to mention this tangible asset has a lot of... Uh, legal tax trickery mm-hmm. you can do with it and strategery. Mm-hmm. So I haven't found something that I feel is as safe and profitable as multifamily investing. But I I'm open. That. I'm open to it. And I think you can talk that's to Ryan important. about NFTs. He'll tell you all about it. <laughs> Good. He's like the crypto NFT guru or that we have around here. <laughs> Good. We'll cash you it in, Ryan, and buy some duplexes. NFT. What's that? You can turn one of your properties, like create an NFT with one of your properties. No way. I don't know. You can do something. Sell tokens or sell something. <laughs> That's I don't awesome. know how that all works. Well, oh my God, you like broke my brain. That is a lot of good information. And I hope that anyone that's listening to this episode really like gets the gist that you don't need to know it all. You just need to take the action steps. We'll connect you with Connor and he'll like break it down into bite-sized pieces about how you can get into this investment game. Yeah. Cause somebody had to do that for me too. Right. So um, find your nerd and, and there's a lot of people out there that want to share information. And I encourage you to come to one of our events or um, come to another event because I think the 
Instagram's great. I'm on it all the time. The problem is it's kind of like this 60 second society. And some of these ideas need to be flushed out in more longer format. Mm -hmm. And, and you need to ask questions. And so sometimes that's what I do with people on the phone is sort through their financial stuff and figure out how this is going to work for them. um, If it's something they want to do. Yeah. And some people might not do it, but they just want to talk it out to be like, ah, okay, cool. I just needed to know Mm -hmm. what it was. I mean, we all like looking at the menu before we order. Right. Right. Well, where can people find you? They can find me at closingwithconnor.com. That's closing with Connor. Connor with one N, but don't worry, I bought the misspelling as well. <laughs> you put as many so N's smart. in my name and you'll still find me. You can also find me at uh, hashtag closing with Connor on Instagram. Um, you know, and then uh, definitely email us. Everything on my team works through email. Email is the best way to get directed to the right person. Uh, whether you want to talk to me, whether you want to apply online, whether you want to talk to my business partner, Jen or Sarah, and hear their investment journey, um, we're here to help. That's so awesome. I love it. Well, I'm so glad you're on the podcast today. It was super fun meeting you last week and getting to hang out Yay. and then having it eventually turn into a podcast and seeing what you do so well. It's uh, It's cool. It's awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, so um, reach out to Connor. Um, and if if you have a hard time finding him, which I don't think you will, reach out to me and I will make the connection for you. But until next time, Bus Bench Babes, keep your face off a of bus bench and keep being the badass boss babes that you are. Yeah. Okay, girls. Are you feeling as inspired as we are? We're over here cheering you on because you just finished another episode of the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast. If you want more, head over to girlgetyourfaceoffabusbench.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. They mean the world to us and they're what keep us going. Girl, thanks for being here.